You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Today we'll be reading from Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole of Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to see him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Thanks, Rob. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here at DPC. Uh, It's wonderful to see you all here today. And uh, welcome. We have a number of visitors. It's wonderful to have you along today. Uh, As you'll soon discover throughout my sermon, we're in a bit of a transition phase uh, in our church, so hopefully you'll be okay, you'll get through uh, with us, Uh, but just to let you know, we're going to be talking about some things that have been happening uh, in our church, but it is very good to have you here, and uh, it's ultimately not about me or about our church, but about Jesus. That's what we're here for today. So let's pray and ask that he'd be with us. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to gather here this morning on this nice sunny day. Uh, Please help us to turn our hearts, our thoughts, our minds to you so that we would uh, better know you more and know how to follow you and what it means uh, to be loved by you. Uh, Please speak through me today and please be at work in all of us. Amen. Do you feel it's time for a change? Oops, sorry. There we go, too fast. Shouldn't change the slide so fast. Do you feel it's time to mix things up, to have a fresh start, to turn over a new leaf, to throw out the old and bring in the new? Do you feel there needs to be a change in the world, in in our community, in our church, in your home, in your own life? I have mixed feelings about change. Sometimes changing things can be energising, But I'm a creature of comfort. I need to be convinced that the change is worth it. Take my hairstyle, for example. I've changed it once in the last 20 years. Here's a family photo from 2018. You can see I had that awesome facial hair under my lip, you know, like a jazz tough, lip beard, whatever you want to call it. But in 2019, during my first year as a pastor here at DPC, I thought I needed to update my hairstyle for something more fitting for the inner north. You can be the judge as to whether that's worked or not. And so I made the change by losing the facial hair, adopting my current style, which I'll probably keep for another 20 years. But there are more serious topics than a middle-aged man's hair. Uh, The war in Gaza is polarising communities across Australia. Dividing lines are being drawn up based on whether you're pro-Israel or pro-Palestine. Politicians are being pressured to, to do more or to do less or to do different. And this is just off the back of the failed referendum on the voice to parliament last year, which also caused division and anger throughout our nation. We have the cost of living crisis, 
pressure on the rental market and COVID-19 is still lurking in the background. It really feels like it's time for a change. How much more conflict and tension and anger and disappointment can we actually take? And then we consider what's been happening in our own church. Our senior pastor finished up last week. We've had dozens of people leave our church. We're still in the midst of a financial crisis. We have a new church building that's ready to go, but we're still just waiting for a permit so we can access it. Do you feel it's time for a change? Do you feel that we need to do something different as a church? Do you feel that you need to do something different in your Christian life? I mean, put your hands up if you feel like somewhere it's time for a change in your life. Yeah, I thought so. So what's the solution? Do we just blow it all up and start again? That might be tempting. Do we move away and get a fresh start that way? Do we need to put more effort in or maybe just take a step back and see how things play out? I suspect that while we all would like some change, we have different ideas about what that change should be and we probably also have different levels of enthusiasm about actually making that change. And that's why this sermon, that's why today, is a key moment for us as a church. At the risk of putting more pressure on myself, I know that this is a key moment for Darabin Presbyterian Church. Here's a cliche. This is the first Sunday of the rest of our lives. This is where we get to take stock of our life together and consider if we need to do anything differently. And so my prayer is that today, you will all tune into the Word of God and together we'll consider what it looks like to change. So grab a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 1. We're going to think about what it looks like for us to start a new season today. What it looks like to, to be the people of God who delight in God even when times are tough, when things feel a bit confusing. And our journey today starts with a dude who had even worse fashion sense than me. Let's turn to Mark chapter 1 and we'll learn about John the Baptist who promised the people that change was coming. It's our first main point. The Gospel of Mark is a biography about Jesus but starts with this wild guy named John who's out in the wilderness dressed in camel hair, he's eating locusts and he's preaching a radical message. You can see in verse 5 that people are flooding out to see him. He's down by the Jordan River which ran to the east of Jerusalem and people are coming out from that city to see him but also from the towns and villages throughout the region of Judea. And they're responding to his message by confessing their sins and being baptised. This would have been an amazing sight. You know, hundreds if not thousands of people are heading out to see this wilderness man because they're longing for a change. They want a fresh start, a new beginning. And part of this is responding to John's message. He's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people are accepting this. They're receiving it. I bet if you went over to High Street today and started declaring that people should repent of their sins, you probably wouldn't get many takers, would you? But these people in Judea understand that something special is about to happen. A change is coming. And they want to get on board. And they understand that one of the key things they need to do is to turn away from their sinful ways and to purify themselves 
before God. And that's effectively what repentance is, right? It's about turning back to God. It's, it's saying no to the path you've been walking down and doing a 180-degree turn back to God. And that's often a key part of change. But it's also one that we find hard to face. Change can sometimes, not always, but sometimes involve admitting that you've been wrong. That you've been saying and doing things that are just not helpful. That are not healthy for you and others, maybe that even offend others. We engage in destructive, toxic, foolish behaviour. It's hard to turn away from that. So often we just hope that our circumstances will change and then we can pretend that it's nothing to do with us. We want change without repentance. Yet that's not how it works. We need to grapple with our failings. We need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. You know, we are marvellous creations who bear his image, yet we deface that image through our stubborn, selfish, foolish, arrogant, dysfunctional behaviour. But here's the thing. When we truly grapple with our sin when we humbly confess our sins, then we can have assurance that we are forgiven. See, forgiveness is a key part of making a change. It helps to see that it's possible to change. That's what John was preaching, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The people by the Jordan River were preparing their hearts for something new, for for the radical change that was almost upon them. We learn in verses 7 and 8 that this change was about the arrival of a very special person. If you've got a Bible open, have a look at Mark 1, verses 7 and 8. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Wow, that sounds exciting, right? The one to come will be great and powerful. He'll be worthy of honour and service, you know, as passionate and pure as John is. Even he is unworthy to stoop down and untie this man's sandals. And the coming one's ministry is going to be far greater. John is baptising people with water, but this man will baptise people with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Jews, they were used to ceremonial washings. They had mikvahs all over the place, which were basically pools that would dig into the ground and there'd be water in the bottom. People would walk down into these pools and wash themselves as a sign of cleansing and setting themselves apart for God. John's baptism was one of repentance, of being set apart and preparing for what was to come. And he teaches that part of what was to come was a greater baptism. Not by water, but by the very Spirit of God. If water can wash our physical selves, then imagine what the Spirit can do to your inner spiritual self. Can you see why the people are excited? Why they are attracted to John's message? He's promising a change that involves spiritual renewal, a a fresh start, a departure from sinful old ways and a new way of life, a fresh and new connection with God. Is that the sort of change you would like in your own life? Well, you can have that change if you look to the one that John was preparing the people for. Look to Jesus. 
Mark makes this clear in verse 1. Have a look. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what this book is about. Mark is writing about the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And this verse isn't just the beginning of a story. It's the beginning of something new, a new era in God's plan for the world, a new era in salvation history. And we can get on board with this new beginning too. We can experience this change if we encounter Jesus the Messiah. And so to truly understand this, we need to grasp the significance of Jesus' arrival on the scene. So we need to appreciate that he brought a liberating change anchored in history. This is our next main point. You know, it's no accident that John is wearing a weird outfit out in the wilderness. He's trying to send a message. See, part of it is that he's serious about his work. He's willing to sacrifice comfort so as to get people ready. But it's much deeper than that. He's wearing the clothing of a prophet. In fact, a particular prophet. A long time ago, there was a king of Israel named Ahaziah. And some of his men they had an encounter with a prophet. And they came back to the king and they reported what they'd seen. This is 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. They replied, He had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. The king said, That was Elijah the Tishbite. Now this Elijah lived more than 900 years before John the Baptist. Yet people still remembered this Elijah. And so it's kind of like John has gone to the local party store and asked for an Elijah costume and he's put it on. And that's just the beginning of the significant links. And the very fact that Mark says that Elijah is out in the wilderness should evoke pictures of the Exodus. Remember that time when uh, the people of God were slaves in Egypt and God led them out through the ten plagues and crossed the Red Sea and then they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But it was a time of being refined, learning obedience to God. They were given the law by Moses and they came to understand God's holiness and how they should live. And so in one sense, John being out in the wilderness is saying to the people of Judea, hey, you need to get back to your roots, back to basics. Let's remember the holiness of God. Let's remember the law and how we're meant to live. Let's humbly love and serve our God. But even more than that, he's signalling that a new exodus is about to take place. That's why Mark starts with a quote from Isaiah. Have a look at verses 2 and 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. There's another prophet. The prophet Isaiah, he lived 700 years before John. And he prophesied during a time when the Jews came under God's judgment for their idolatry and their lawlessness. And you may know that they eventually ended up in exile in Babylon. But there was hope. There would be a triumphant return to the promised land. There'd be renewal for Jerusalem and a blessing for the nation. Their enemies would be turned back and an age of prosperity would dawn and God himself would lead the way and take up residence in Jerusalem. It was all very exciting. 
And Isaiah prophesied those words that Mark quoted. He said that someone would be out in the wilderness declaring that the Lord God himself would, coming, would be coming, that he would end the exile and ushering the change. But back in those days, the change never came in its fullness. Sure, the people returned from their exile in Babylon. They rebuilt the temple that had been destroyed. They re-established themselves in the promised land. But the glory didn't come. God didn't come in his splendour and usher in the new age. And so the people groaned under their burdens. That a series of nations rule over them and, and the Romans were now in charge. Life was hard and there seemed to be little hope. But then something new started to emerge. Change was upon the people. A voice was calling in the desert, in the wilderness. And that voice was John the Baptist. And he was preparing the way for the Lord, for the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus would bring a radical change. If you're familiar with this passage, you might know that Mark also quotes from the prophet Malachi. And even though he says these words are from Isaiah, he's done a bit of a mashup, kind of mashup quotation here. So have a look at verse 2, and I'll read out from Malachi 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then later on in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That's how the Old Testament ends. Malachi prophesied that God would come and he'd bring justice, he'd bring judgment. He would purify the people, refine them and establish them anew. And to prepare for this, he would send someone in the role of Elijah. The Jews had long expected that Elijah would come and he would usher in the Messiah in the Messianic age. And here is John in an Elijah outfit, crying out in the desert, telling people to repent and believe because God is about to come and restore all things. And who is it that arrives? It's Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Son of God. Can you see that John is preparing the way, not just so that people can change their routines. You know, he's not just preaching some lifestyle changes. Let's turn over a new leaf. Let's make a sea change or a tree change or whatever they did back in those days. It's not about getting a new haircut or trying out a new diet. It's not about signing up for a self-improvement course or taking a social media fast. This is life-changing, world-altering, history-making change. This is deep, lasting change that can only be brought about by God. The God of the Exodus, who led his people out of slavery into the Promised Land, is coming to earth once more to bring an even greater liberation. The God who purified his people through the time of exile is coming to earth once more to bring the long-awaited spiritual renewal. 
The God who promised to pour out his spirit for cleansing and to bring his presence in a lasting way is coming to earth to baptise people with that spirit. The words of Isaiah, the words of Malachi that have been hanging over the people for centuries are being fulfilled. The long ages of waiting are over because here comes the Lord. He is powerful and he is worthy and you better prepare your heart through repentance lest his righteous presence and his refining spirit brings you despair. Wow. Can you see that John is not just preparing the way for the Lord, he's preparing the people for his arrival. It's not like John is just making a booking at the best hotel in Jerusalem for the Messiah. He's not checking that the local cafe has the Lord's favourite coffee beans. If that were the case, you'd be called John the PA, right? He's John the Baptist. He's preparing the hearts of the people to receive the Lord so that when he comes, they can be baptised by the Spirit. And part of this preparation is understanding this moment in time. Jesus brought a liberating change that was anchored in history. So it's not a complete reset, it's not a complete clean slate. Rather, the change has a predetermined shape and trajectory to it, a certain purpose. It exists between two horizons. There is the past, which is marked by human rebellion and failing. It's marked by our inability to love God and to love others. It's marked by conflict and suffering and fear and greed and oppression. But then there's the future. The future which is marked by God restoring and perfecting all things. It's marked by blessing and renewal and promises fulfilled. It's marked by peace and joy and friendship and freedom and love. Jesus will bring about change towards that wonderful future, but only by dealing with the past. You see, he must liberate us from our spiritual slavery and oppression. He must purify our hearts from evil. He must reform our communities. He must deal with the past so that we can have a better future. And in one sense, that's what the whole book of Mark is about. It shows how Jesus is the Son of God who came into the world to deal with the mess and to secure the change that leads to this bright and wonderful future. He didn't come to tell us how to make the future ourselves. He came to make it for us. And his efforts to deal with this led him into a very dark place. He went into the depths of all that our dark past horizon entails. He was tormented by evil spiritual forces. He was opposed by his own people. He was abandoned by his friends. He was nailed to a cross and crucified as a criminal. Yet in his suffering, the Messiah opened up the way to deep, lasting change. He grappled with the world's broken and dark past and overcame it. On the cross, he grappled with your dark, broken past and he overcame it. He did this so that there would be the dawn of change on the future horizon. John the Baptist knew that it was time for a change. The people knew it was time for a change. And their only hope for deep, lasting change was Jesus. 
It's the same today. Our only hope for deep, lasting change is Jesus. So here's our final point for today's sermon. Will you come to Jesus for the change that you need? The ministry of John the Baptist caused a crisis point for the people. They had to make a decision. And so Mark, in the way he retells it, he's recreating that crisis for us, his readers. We're drawn down to the banks of the river and we too are forced to reckon with John the Baptist's message and our need to act decisively to receive the change that we long for. Are you seeking a change? Do you long for a new start? Do you want to do things different? Do you want relief and peace and purpose and freedom? If so, do you see Jesus as the answer, as the one who will bring that change? Do you see that you need to come to him for deep, lasting change? Maybe you're still figuring out what you think about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe being a Christian is so far from your mind. You're just here today just for a visit. Well, it's great to have you here. Maybe you're new to being a Christian and you're trying to figure out how to actually follow Jesus. What does that mean? Maybe you've recently renewed your commitment as a Christian. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Whatever the case may be, I invite you to join with us as we journey through Mark's gospel over the coming weeks and months, as we encounter Jesus and learn about how he alone is the one who brings the change that we truly need. And so that means preparing yourself even today. It means being willing to turn away from that which hinders you and holds you back. It means being open to new ideas or perhaps old ideas being renewed in your mind. It means recognising that you sit between two horizons. This is important because just like the people down by the river, we don't know exactly where this will all lead. They went out to be baptised by John and wait for the Messiah, but Jesus was an unexpected Messiah. He said and did things that confused them, that sometimes offended them, that troubled them, that inspired them, that surprised them and delighted them. In the same way, we will need to learn and grow and have our understanding reframed. Also, you need to consider the change in your life in terms of the two horizons that I mentioned. You know, what are the elements of your past that define you today? There are certain concrete realities about your family background, your upbringing, your physical body that you can't really escape. They're part of who you are. And so Jesus can help you grapple with your dark past, the dark parts of your history, but he won't untether you from your history completely. It actually helps us to set realistic expectations about the change Jesus will bring. And the other horizon is about your future. You know, what are the elements of your future that should shape who you are today? Now, we all have a vision of what we would like to be and we try to make changes in line with that. We cut off certain friendships, try to make new ones, change our name, we get a new job, we go back to study, we join a gym, whatever it might be. These things are perfectly fine, but when it comes to change, are we looking far enough into the future? Jesus wants us to consider the far horizon, 
where he will usher in a new age of peace and freedom and joy. It's when the second exodus will be fulfilled, when the ultimate exile will be ended, when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. That's the future that Jesus is preparing us for. And that's the focus of the change he wants to make in our lives. The deep, lasting change we need that will prepare us for the future is about a new identity, a new heart, a new mindset, a new moral framework, a new community, a new passion, a new purpose. And only Jesus can make that change. He does it as we receive his teaching, as we sit under the word of God, as we receive the spirit, as we pray, as we receive his death on the cross which brings forgiveness and as we receive the life of God in our hearts. And so my prayer is that each of you will encounter Jesus this year and that you'll be changed and renewed in ways you can't even imagine today. That's my prayer for you. And my prayer is also for our church that we would experience the change that we need as a community. What might that look like? Well, for what it's worth, I've got three thoughts to share and I hope that you'll discuss these over morning tea together. In fact, why don't you even write them down and then we can talk about them. Number one, Jesus is DPC's hope for change. It's Jesus, not me, just to make that clear at the front. I feel the weight that our church has gone from two pastors down to one. People have asked me if I feel up to the challenge. Well, I might have some good ideas. I have a desire to love you and shepherd you all. But I can't change you. I can't change our church. I'm no ministry guru. I'm no bottomless pit of pastoral wisdom. I'm no theological genius. And so just like John the Baptist... I'm going to point you to Jesus. He's the one who can bring change that's even better than we can imagine. Number two, Jesus calls DPC to reckon with our past failings. This is hard. We can't ignore the past few years as if they never happened. But our history need not hinder us. Let me say that again. We have... A real past, things have really happened, but our history need not hinder us. There is forgiveness and renewal from Jesus. There is liberation too. There's also some hard work to do. Ken and I, where's Ken? There's Ken up the back. Hi, Ken. Ken and I are the last two local elders. We've got some hard and painful work to do. We've got to reckon with how we got to this point. Why are finances tanked? Why have people left? Why are volunteers feeling tired? Why are some people feeling hurt and unheard? Perhaps you've each got some work to do as well. Perhaps there's some repenting you need to do of unhelpful behaviour. Perhaps there's some forgiveness you need to offer to those who have hurt you. Let's be open and honest and real so that together we can find the deep and lasting change that Jesus brings. And finally, Jesus sets the agenda for DPC's future. I'm sure everyone has some ideas on how we can do things differently. I certainly have a bunch. 
For example, you may have heard we're going to have a staycation instead of a camp this year. We're not going to go all the way to Phillip Island. We're going to gather in Thornbury for a weekend in May for Bible teaching and lots of fun hangout time together. I'm starting up a theology and ministry discussion group, which is open to anyone, but I particularly hope it will be a way to help us identify like future leaders or Bible teachers, even some future elders. This group starts next Saturday morning, so get along. Come and talk to me if you're interested. Ken and I have some ideas on what we can do to be better at listening to women's voices in particular in our decision-making. And Alicia and I want to make church services uh, that connect with everyone, young and old, so that we can all encounter God together Sunday by Sunday. But ultimately, these are all about our efforts to change, aren't they? So we need to make sure that Jesus sets the agenda. And so in line with that, we need to get back to our basics, back to our roots. We're going to keep opening up the Bible, sitting under the Word of God. We're going to recommit to praying for God to reveal his will and to shape us into the community that he wants us to be. We're going to remember that life will never be perfect now. If you find yourself in the perfect church, praise God you've died and gone to heaven. The kingdom is still being established. doesn't mean that we can't work and see God improve and grow our church, but we're never going to be perfect. We need to be patient with that. And so in this way, we can be open to what Jesus wants us to do, how we need to follow him, look to where he's leading us. Maybe this is no surprise to some of you, but I don't have a detailed 10-step plan for our church. I don't know what the rest of this year is going to look like. I don't even know where we're going to be meeting for church next month. I don't know what changes will stick. But we can change how we view our past, how we view our future, how far forward we look. And we can make sure that we stay committed to Jesus. After all, Jesus is the hope for you, for me, for DPC, for deep and lasting change. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we need you so much. We know that we are weak, spiritually poor and needy. We don't even know what's happening next week, let alone next year or 10 years from now. And so we pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would be our good, great shepherd. We pray that you would help us to recommit to one another and to you and we'll be open to the change that you bring in the coming weeks and months and we pray lord that through this season of refining that we'd be purified as a people that we would be eager to love you to serve you to do your will and to love others and so we pray that today would really be the first sunday of the rest of our lives together we pray that you continue to grow us Thank you, Jesus. Amen.